Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Hey everyone, welcome to the episode. I just wanted to do a brief intro to this one because today we're covering quite a sensitive topic in suicide. And so if you're uncomfortable with diving deep into some of the hard questions to ask about the lead up to suicide and the fallout from suicide, then this might not be for you because today's guest lost his 15-year-old granddaughter earlier this year in 2022. And so it is quite raw and we get into some conversations where it can become quite confronting. And so Colin's a unique individual. He's a man of many talents. And there is a lighter side to this, but uh, for a lot of the part, it is quite confrontational and it might not be for everyone. So if you're feeling as if you don't want to listen on, then now's the opportunity to tune out. Otherwise, it is quite enthralling for me i found it entertaining and it was just so insightful to get the perspective of this man and his thoughts and now deciding to dedicate his life to suicide awareness i think so it's a wonderful thing that he's going to do to serve other people so in saying that if you're going to listen on then enjoy the podcast and enjoy the conversation Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Limitless Man podcast so as i said in the intro this is a pretty sensitive topic that we're talking about today and it's a topic of suicide. So today's guest has experienced, you know, an unfortunate situation, a very tragic situation with his 15-year-old granddaughter committing suicide in June 2022. So that's pretty recent considering we're filming this in, what are we now, September, uh, August at the moment, halfway through August. So it's um, it's quite raw still. And so some of the questions are going to be confronting, but I think He's got such a message that he's going to share with the world. It's just a great opportunity to get him on and to get him to explain how he plans to live the rest of his days. So, yeah, without any further ado, I want to welcome Colin Hughes to the podcast. Welcome, Colin. Thank you, Simon. I guess it's it's August 16th where I am in Las Vegas, but it's yeah. the 17th out there, isn't it? It is. We're a day in front of you, man, over here, so down under. Yeah, tell me some game scores from tomorrow that I can go to the casinos with, will you? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. so you're from Vegas. You live on the Strip there, and you find your way. No, we're we're far from the Strip. You're not my far. House, from, okay. Yeah, my house backs up to nothingness. A, a plot of federal ground that will never be built on because of the dinosaur bones that have been discovered there. So they've actually found bones there, have they? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So I have dinosaurs living in my backyard. How far away are you from the Strip? If you were to drive there, would you be within reasonable distance? Oh, it depends on the traffic, 30 to 45 minutes. When I was still flying, I'm a retired airline pilot. Yeah. And I was based in Houston, Texas. So I'd have to drive down to the airport here in Las Vegas every week to catch a ride to go to work and then catch a ride from Houston to come home. And it was anywhere 30 to 45 minutes to where I parked my car at at a hotel, which is very close to the airport. Yeah, okay. Let's start with your story, Colin, because you're a man of many talents. I've been to your website. You do voiceovers. You've been a pilot before as well, rodeo. You've done a lot of things in your life. So tell us your life story. 
Well, I had three dreams growing up, be a cowboy, be a pilot, and be an actor. I rode bulls for several years, and many of those years competing against some of the legends in the sport of rodeo. If anybody uh, who's listening has ever heard of the movie Eight Seconds, it's a story, life story about Lane Frost, who is world's champion bull rider that died in the arena at the Cheyenne Frontier Days in 1989. Lane and I competed the same days at Cheyenne that year. He was a friend of mine. Last thing he ever called me, the last thing he ever said to me is he called me an old fart. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I, I stopped riding bulls a year of the week after the death of Lane. Yeah. I was went to one rodeo in Kansas, tore a groin muscle. Next one in Nebraska, got walked on worse than I ever had in my life. It had to be carried out of the arena. And I looked up at my buddies and says, that's it. That's the last one because the next stop was Cheyenne. And it looks like such a dangerous sport. I mean, I've never done anything like it before. Is there a lot of fatalities or major injuries? There have been fatalities, yes. Like, say, Lane. He, one of the reasons that scared me when Lane died is, um, you know, I've heard of people in amateur rodeos getting killed. But Lane was a world's champion, you know, a professional, world's champion. World class, yeah. Yeah, and when it happened to him, it's like, man, this is real. It can happen. Mm. Yeah. And it just, uh, it it scared the pants off me. I was reading the other day a post by a friend of mine, Ted Noose, who is a world's champion as well. And he was talking about a rodeo he was going, rodeo he was going to right after, right after the death of Lane. And he said he thought maybe this is the time to quit. You know, he, he there was a lot of guys that thought about getting out of the business after, after what happened to Lane. Yeah. And Ted said he got a phone call from a buddy of his saying, I can't remember what rodeo it was, but, you know, it was a bigger one. And he says, man, Ted, you got to come get on this bull. He's good. And he's like, okay, maybe that's a sign that I'm not supposed to hang it up yet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what about your dream? Your dream yeah. to fly? How did that all come about and you were part of it's just something that, that i as a child i just had these things that i wanted to do and i got my private pilot certificate in 1980 thinking you know this would be a good way to go to rodeos I, mm. before that i traveled with a guy who had his own airplane and we you know used he had a cessna 210 and we traveled in his 210 to, uh, together going to some rodeos and you know had an apartment in, in texas and i traveled with him and i thought yeah hey i need to get mine and, and go on with it but then uh, after I got my private pilot certificate, I did not do a whole lot with it until later in life. I got my my instrument rating in 1999, uh, my commercial and flight instructor rating in 2000, and then started flight instructing, building hours. And finally, I took a job as a charter pilot in 2000 and 2004, flying uh, Citation jets. And grounded myself in 2008 to go on antidepressants until the FAA said that, hey, now for, because back then you could not be on an antidepressant at all and maintain an FAA medical. Then I got my medical back in 2011 and worked for a local flight school as a, their aircraft broker. 2013 i'm going to the airlines and i did yeah yeah and so when did you actually finish up there in uh 2020 was my last flight okay pretty recently uh, it's only a few years ago yeah my 
last flight was from Guadalajara, Mexico into Houston, Texas. I got home, caught a ride home on a United flight, I think it was. And next day, I just, Montezuma's Revenge. Mm. Uh, what, is that, what does that about, mean, Tom? <laughs> oh, well, that, Australian, you don't know what Montezuma head. Revenge is. <laughs> you, you know the story, don't drink the water. Okay. Well, I didn't drink the water, but still somehow <laughs> I got a hold of it. Yeah, right. Okay. But it, it went on for days. I, and then my wife took me to the doctor and one of the scans, a uh, tumor was found on my left kidney. Okay. And it was cancerous. I had surgery on February of 2020, but then, uh, by that time, yeah, I was without my FAA medical again and the cancer's under control, but so I've been home ever since then. And then my last actual retirement date, even though I'd been home was April 27th of this year, because that's age 65, one of the United States. That's it. It's an airline pilot year or no more. Okay. So you have to retire when you get to 65. That's it. Yeah. With airlines. Yes. You can do yeah. charter work, instructing, whatever else, as long as it's not airlines. Okay, cool. Yep. And then while I've been home, I'm thinking, you know, Hey, I've always wanted to act and I've dabbled with voice acting before. So here I am doing it. You know, I got my, my sound booth here. My you see you set up beautifully there. You got your yeah, studio, my, your sound booth. So yeah, my $1,000 Sennheiser MKH416 microphone. <laughs> And you sound like you love it too. You obviously you got oh, for it. It's, yeah? it's I do what I love and I love what I do. Yeah, I always that's awesome, man. Yeah. You know, go out go after your dreams. Yeah. Mate, I just want to change change gears here. So obviously we're we're here to talk about, you know, a tragedy that's happened to you that's very close to your heart. And obviously people go through tragedies in their life. Unfortunately, they're inevitable and they can have a a real negative impact on people long-term. Some people manage to find what they call a silver lining in it over time. Um, I'd love to get your perspective because I just wanted to have a chat and put into perspective Evangelina, your granddaughter. She was 15 years of age. Just tell us a little bit about her, mate. I mean, childhood, school, early teenage years. Well, um, you know, as you can tell from our conversation so far, I'm, I'm a man who's gone after what he's wanted and and just worked for it and gotten it. But now I find myself struggling sometimes just to get through the day. Mm. My granddaughter was the only person in this world more important to me. That was my wife. And my granddaughter and her little brother are just the world to me too. You know, it just, we took her to Hawaii when she was 12 years old and have all these wonderful pictures of her just smiling and laughing and videos of her learning to do the hula dance in Hawaii. And just, she's just amazing. The, the, The last person in the world, you would ever expect to do something like that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that brought me to my next question as well, because obviously for any parents listening, anyone, anyone listening to, to the story itself, were there any signs, any behaviors, anything to look out for at all, anything 
to just work with to go, we need to address this or we've got to look into this as a possible warning sign, so to speak? You know, I can find more information about warning signs through different websites that address suicide than I can in looking at what happened to my granddaughter. There was nothing. Okay. And it just totally out of nowhere. When I went back for her funeral, it was in this small town in Nebraska, you know, where everybody knows everybody. She, for two years in a row, she had been working in the, um, in the snack snack sh- snack bar area at the their local swimming pool i just wanted to you know go out and see more of her environment where she was before all this happened cuz i hadn't seen her for you know since i think the last time i saw her was october of 2019 because of covid yeah and that kept me from seeing her for the last you know nearly 3 years mm. and so I went out to the swimming pool where she worked at. The manager was there, you know, they were closed. Manager was there getting things ready for the day and asked, you know, introduced himself to me. He says, you know, what can I do for you? And I told him who I was and asked him if it was possible if I could see where she worked. So he takes me into the, the snack bar area and we talked for a little bit. And he was just preparing her for her to run the entire snack shop. And he said the last day that she had there was the best day ever. Mm. And I, I don't know. You know, she always used to call me when she had, I've got one voicemail from her when um, her and her little brother were, we're having some problems. She says, Grandpa, can you call him and talk to him? You always have this way of talking to him. and You always get him to smile. Could you please call back? And all I could think is, why didn't she call me? Yeah. Why didn't she call me? But then on the flip side of that, I was talking to a friend at church who said his brother had taken his own life. And his brother did call him the night before. And he was not clued in on anything. He's, and he just looked at him and says, try to wear that burden. Yeah. So whether somebody calls you or not before something like that, I guess either way, it's just, it's not a place you want to be. Mm. Not in the least bit. Yeah. Well, I'm not a professional and I don't profess to be. I do know s- several people that have taken their lives. So none of them, thankfully, in my immediate family. You know, however, I can see the impact it's had on the lives of those that they have left around them. So it's such an impactful thing when, when it happens and there's a lot of pieces to pick up afterwards. So I've only known two people. Yeah. And that was um, somebody in our neighborhood and my granddaughter. So it's something you think, oh, this is never ha- going to happen mm-hmm. to anybody close to me, but it can. And that's what's, that's why I'm here. It's, yeah. 
I'm, I'm a person who I've been given the gift of gab by God. After I stopped riding bulls. Yeah. Everybody told me, says, man, pick up the microphone. You got this voice to be a rodeo announcer. And I did. And I had fun with it. And I was, you know, the more I got into it, the more phone calls I was getting. So I'll pay you this much. Mm. <laughs> no, that's not enough. Just, well, I'll never forget this, this one. Uh, the uh, stock contractors, former steer wrestler, he's world's champion steer wrestler, called me to announce his rodeo. It wasn't, it was, uh, you know, not full out uh, professional rodeo sanctioned by the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, but it was, you know, I guess you'd call it semi-pro. And this gentleman who's a professional world's champion steer wrestler started this smaller stock contracting business, and he called me up. And he was putting on a rodeo that uh, another stock contractor had had for three or four years, and I'd announced that rodeo every year. And he got the rodeo, and he calls me up and says, Colin, man, this committee, they only want to hire you to announce their rodeo. And I says, okay, what's the dates? I says, oh, yeah, I've got them open. Mm. He says, well, what's your charge? What's your fee on that? And I told him, he says, and he just, his voice got high pitched. I only paid now a hundred and a quarter a night. <laughs> what was the fee? <laughs> uh it was a lot higher a lot higher okay (laughs) (laughs) i did this cracked me up but i it's the first time i ever really got cocky or arrogant about my business i says yeah you're not hiring daryl anymore did you get it did they pay oh oh, yeah he did he did and i got the one of the best compliments ever after this was all over there was one of the best rodeo announcers that's ever been in the business. His name is uh, Clem McSpadden. He's passed on now, but he he announced rode- professional rodeos for decades, and he was just—I always watched him and admired him on how he did it. You know, he never waited for clue from the from the arena directors when it start. He looked at the secretary, says, "We're supposed to start at o'clock." Get us. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's right. He was he was the cue. But afterwards, when I went to get my check, when this rodeo was over, I come walking up, and uh, there's the stock contractor, and he says, "Oh, here comes Clem McSpadden." <laughs> I says, "Nah, nah, I couldn't even begin to fill Clem's boots." He says, "So he's one of the greatest you'd say of all time." He one of them. One yeah. of them, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the stock contractor, he says, here comes Clem. I said, I, I couldn't even begin to touch, you know, I, in no way I could walk in Clem's boots. He says, you're better than Clem. Like, scared me. Yeah, wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I had, <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it, it was an honor to be looked at in, in that, in that way. But the reason I'm bringing all this up is I've always had this talent to talk. Mm. And throughout my life, I've had a few things that happened to me that I should have died. Yes, you said that offline to me. You told me that several times that you should have died. And yes, would it be fair yes. to say you felt you were saved for a reason? And if so, do you think you're a man of faith? Do you believe? Yeah, I am. I am absolutely faithful? a man of faith. Absolutely, and that's that's. I'm, I'm. I've always wondered why I have been saved. As a small child, I was like six, seven years old. 
at this lake in Iowa with family. And I get caught in this little whirlpool type thing that just, I'm going round and round and I can't get out of the water. I can't get my head above water. And I thought this is it. You know, as a child, I was terrified. Somebody reaches in, he grabs my arm, pulls me out of the water. And I thank him and I run back to my parents and I tell them what just happened. And they didn't believe me. Mm. I thought, I'll, I'll go get this guy and he can tell you. And so I went over to the, to the picnic area next to me where this, this gentleman walked off towards when he left me. I couldn't find him anywhere. Nobody had any idea who I was talking about. I, and then when I was going to some rodeos, I was catching a ride with one of the stock contractors one time and there. It was a uh, tractor trailer hauling some of their livestock pulled over on the side of the road out in the middle of on a country road highway to walk across the street to go get something to eat in this, this little convenience store. I'm standing right in front of the truck. I take one step out. My nickname was goose. Somebody yelled at me, goose, get back. When I jumped back to see what was going on, car missed me just by inches going probably 60, 70 miles an hour. Mm, You would have been dead. I would have been dead. And most recently I tell you about my bout with diabetes. When I Mm. got back from the, from my granddaughter's funeral, I felt perfectly fine as far as health goes. And for the last 30 years or more, I've had this little twinge in my chest area that the doctors back then said was from my hiatal hernia. That just kind of, you know, like heartburn or something, a little bit here and there. And something told me that I needed to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I told my wife, I says, I'm having chest pains. You need to take me to the emergency room. So we went into the emergency room. My glucose level was 800. The doctor asked me if I actually walked into the, into the hospital myself. I says, yeah, my wife drove me here, but I walked in. Why? He says, you should be comatose right now, if not dead. Just put it into perspective. What's the normal range? What should it be? The normal range? Uh, well, let me look at my little meter here. I know the bottom end is 70. That's low, super low. Yeah, that's super low. You go behind, if you go below that, you're going to have a, an event that, you know, you, th- then I got to be eating sugar. But the high end, I think, is about 170, 180. Okay, so you're like, you're talking yeah. seven times over the, yeah. Yeah. The threshold. Yeah. 800. Yeah. I heard some of the nurses, uh, a couple of the nurses talking when they were hooking me up to IVs and that. He says, he's 800. Hmm. I thought they was talking about somebody else had no idea. 800, 800 watts. Have you ever seen it that high? And one says, well, I saw a guy with 1200 one time, but 800, that's bad. Yeah. And I says, what are you guys talking about? He says, your glucose level. Then he starts giving me a shot of insulin. He says, insulin? Really? What for? Because, man, your glucose levels are off the chart. How are you still walking? But when I took the, I go into all this because, when I got the call about my granddaughter, you know, all the years I thought, what am I being saved for? Why am I still here after all these near misses? Mm-hmm. And when her stepfather called me and told me, I just started yelling and screaming and sobbing like I never had in my entire life. 
but one of the first things that popped into my head, other than she's gone and this is horrid, was now I know. Mm. You're saying this offline to me. You're saying that you feel like the rest of your life now is going to be dedicated to a mission, that you're a man on a mission now. So do you just want to share what, what is that mission in your eyes? Advocate for suicide prevention. Mm. You know, talk to people, reach out to people. You're not, it's not, you know, to people who've lost somebody to, it's, it's hard to explain the feelings that you go through. You lose some, my oldest daughter died of cancer in 2015. And you've heard people say that worst thing mm. a parent can go through is the loss of a child. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 was extremely hard, but the loss of my granddaughter to suicide was devastating. It was so much worse. Mm. It because you know cancer, we knew it was coming. We had time to prepare, but suicide is, and also with suicide, I I found out that anger is one of the things that that you go through, and and not just angry that the person is gone but anger at the person for for doing it mm. i have a another granddaughter who she looks like she's 12 but she's 16 and just full of fun and full of life and this young lady texts me every day that's her preferred method of text of conversation is, is texting and she texts me every day. I wake up to what I call the pug pictures. It's pictures of and her and her pug. <laughs> and I love my dose of pug pictures in the morning. But one night after I'd gone to bed, she called me. And that is not typical for her. It's always texting. When I woke up the next morning, I realized that I had a missed call from her. And I texted her and says, Notice I had a missed call from you. What's up? And she just told me that she was feeling down and needed somebody to talk to. You know, first I was like, oh, you know, that's, that's wonderful. that mm, yeah. she's going to reach out to her, to her old grandpa to talk to somebody. But then I see a picture of my other granddaughter. And I went up to this picture and I stood there and I just yelled and I screamed and I said, how can you do this? Why did you do this? And I was so, I was so angry. Mm -hmm. I had never been angry with her in life, but I was so angry with her in death. Yeah. I was on a zoom call with, with two other people who'd lost somebody to suicide. One was a woman who's, son ended his life in an airplane and the other whose husband had shot himself and it was that night after this screaming match of mine happened to the picture that i was on this call with them and i asked them if they had ever been angry with the person that they'd lost and the mother this young man just as if he was right here i'd shake him by the shoulders yeah yeah and that was it was so relieving to know that anger at that mm. person for doing this was normal in this situation that's one reason why 
you know, it's, it's so much harder. You don't want to feel that anger at somebody you love so much. Yeah. But you do. (laughs) That's one of the hardest things. It's, You don't just miss them. You're angry at them for yeah. missing them. Yeah. <sighs> Have you reached out to a lot of other people in these situations? So, yeah, you mentioned that Zoom call. Yeah, I've been. That was a Zoom call for. Um, there's some people that are trying to uh, work with the FAA on streamlining the the way that the FAA deals with people who have depression and medications and that a lot of young aviators are terrified to go to a therapist for the simple reason that the FAA might find out and they're going to lose their possible career and and that's very dangerous mm. so they'd rather roll the dice not seek, not seek the assistance that they need to move past yeah. whatever it is they're going through at the risk of losing their careers, yeah? Yeah. And one of the, what I looked at, I granted myself in 2008, like I was saying, but what I learned during that time, I'm not a pilot. That's simply something I do. I was not a bull rider. That was simply something I did. Mm-hmm. It was not a rodeo announcer. That's simply something I did. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a child of God that has these, these abilities, and I do these things, but that does not define me. And so putting your life at risk for something that you do mm-hmm. is not worth it. Yeah. Why do you think there's that stigma there? Because I know over the years we've gotten better as a society. We've moved on significantly, I think, from the older days where it was real taboo. I, I would have don't thought think we've moved on as much as what you think. Probably not. Well, that's why I'm asking <laughs> yeah. because obviously we haven't. And especially no. what you're telling me. I mean, people are prepared to actually go through what they're going through and, and lose their rather than lose their careers or potentially lose their careers. So where do we need to be, you reckon, as a society to move on and get to a point? Is it a matter of having conversations with each other? Or is it a more openness attitude towards education, 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 education? You know, you get, talk about these things. That's why I'm here right now doing it. I've been on medications. I and they help so much. It helps so much. Um, the biggest thing is you've got to take care of yourself. Mm. You've got to, depression is not an issue with the mind. It's a physical ailment, which nobody, most nobody gets. It affects you physically. Just elaborate on that. Give me an example of what you mean. This is your perspective, by the way. So this isn't. Right. Yeah, I'm not an expert in the mental health field, but my my wife is actually a licensed clinical social social worker. She's a therapist herself. 
but so she could fill you in on details. Yeah, it, it, it is an ailment of the body. One, one thing I found out how much it affects me is when I lost my granddaughter, you can imagine how stressful and how painful that was. My arms were so heavy mm. that I could, oh, I could hardly raise my arms a few days and because they were just so heavy because all that, whatever it does to your body, it reacts on your body. You know, people feel stress. It's the same thing. Stress can, can affect your body. You know, how many times have you heard somebody, man, I'm just so stressed out right now. I, mm. I'm just tired or I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. Well, depression does the same thing. Yeah. I guess my perspective of it is it's a, that's the byproduct though, the physical ailment. I, I, I'm a believer that it's a mental, it's a mental trigger. It's something mentally that's happening. Right. That then as a result, then the exactly, symptom yeah. Yeah, is, yeah, or the result is the ailment in the body, the, the feeling lethargic, no energy, you know, not even being able to move sometimes. People are stuck in bed for, for days, weeks on end sometimes because of these conditions. It's, so debilitating to your body. It can be it, terrible. It, it can be. But, but but the thing is, though, too, depression itself is brought on by a chemical imbalance in your brain. Yep. Which makes it physical. Yes. Yeah. Something your body that. is yep. doing because yep. your brain is a part of your body. And unless you're like me and don't have any sense to begin with, you know, yeah. for crying out loud, I got on, I got on 1,500 to 2,000 pound bulls at wanted to wreck me yeah so, but it is a physical helmet and yeah. it affects everybody in a different way and my message to people is find somebody you love find somebody who loves you and it's there's so many people who think well i'm not loved at home well if you're not loved at home reach out to somebody else mm. If you don't have friends who are positive friends, find somebody who is. Good friend of mine grew up in Watts, California. And Watts is crime ridden, one of the most difficult places there there can be for for crime and gangs and all this. And my friend stayed away from all that. One thing, per, you know, thanks to a wonderful mother, and I think he had like 11 siblings, something like that. And his mother, I never got to meet her. I wish I really could have. He was my friend Charlie, great, great, great guy. He found something outside of that environment that was positive. Uh, and he went to, I don't know where it was, but an area where, you know, he could ride horses and he learned how to ride horses. He learned how to ride bulls. And he, he went out to be the first African-American in the history of professional rodeo to win a world's championship, all because he sought out the right type of people to be with. Mm. Otherwise, if it would have gone the other way, you know, I would never have known who he was. There's a saying that one of my mentors drills into me all the time, and he says, Simon, proximity is power. He That's great. I love it proximity it is. power it's tattooed in my brain that's what i hear him say to me all the time so 
And it's true. I believe who who you surround yourself with really is going to determine where you're going to go. Yeah, when I was riding bulls, I'd notice uh, a lot of guys that had those gold buckles that said world's champion on them. Mm. They were all traveling with other people who were just their caliber. Yeah. They traveled together and they uplifted each other. And I was the loner, you know, Hey, can I, you know, I, I catch rides with guys like that, but I wasn't, you know, permanent traveling companions with mm-hmm. anybody like that to where they could up, you know, where I could have that uplifting motivation with yeah. each other all the time. But, but if somebody has suicidal ideology, if you don't have support at home, find that positive reinforcement somewhere else, like my friend Charlie did. Even if you're not a believer of God, mm. go down to a church, a synagogue, find somebody talk to talk to, find somebody who can give you positive reinforcement and help you feel better about yourself. You are a worthwhile person. And if you can't find anybody to love you, well, let me tell you this. I love you. Yeah. When I was in my early 20s, I thought about it myself one time. And back in these days, there were these things, you might not ever believe this, Simon, but it, it's, it's true. There were these things called pay phones. <laughs> I actually remember them. I'm old enough yeah. to know what a pay phone looks like. So. <laughs> you, you, you poke a quarter in them and dial yeah. a number and talk to somebody. Yep. And then they got even fancier. You can drive up next to them. And this one you won't believe. You could talk to somebody from the privacy of your own car. That's incredible. Imagine that. I know. And But I was having this thought. I was going to do it. I thought, you know, I'm worthless. Nobody cares about me. But my question was that I had for a religious leader. So I called a local leader in my church. And all I wanted to know is when I did this. What's going to happen to my soul? And this man had no idea where I was. He knew who I was. Mm. And um, he tried to find out where I was. Well, come on over, you know, talk to you. He was trying everything you could think of to try to stop me. And I says, all I need right now is I just need to know the answer to this question. He says, well, well, let me do this. You give me 15 minutes. And at the end of that 15 minutes, if I can't talk you out of it, you're going to do what you're going to do anyway. But so just put it off for 15 minutes. Mm. And he went into telling me that he loves me. He says, the members, the members of your ward or our congregation says, they love you. They need you. They admire you. They this, 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 and this. What about this person in your life? This per- mm. They will miss you. Yeah. And I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty raw. I mean, like we, like we said, this happened in June. I want to ask you, obviously, it seems like you're moving in a positive direction here and you're going to take this and you're going to, impact many, many lives around you and all over the world. Do you believe that good can come out of not only just this tragedy, but any tragedy for that matter? I do. I do. It's, 
um, my granddaughter is from uh, a sibling group of four sisters. And for, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details, but mm. she was the only, my second oldest daughter of these four girls, the only daughter that I had contact with. And that was on and off, on and off. You know, there was, I was the black sheep of the family back then. <laughs> and I was not a good person to their mother when I was married to their mother. Mm. So I did not have interaction with the other three girls for quite some time. And it was tragedy that brought me back in to this daughter's life. You know, she, she reached out to me and, and to the, their mother remarried to a man who was retired military and asked if he could adopt them so that uh, they could have the benefits that came through that. And I thought, you know, that's more than I can ever afford to pay in child support. So, mm. sure, it's the right thing to do. But what I didn't realize at the time when I signed those papers, I was signing away all rights to them. Okay. So yep. these girls, understandably, you know, felt that feeling of abandonment from me. And there's probably some resentment there as well. Oh, there, yeah, there yeah. is. Understandably so. Mm. But this daughter reached out to me in 2000 four i think somewhere in there and we were part of each other's lives for a while and then not part of she had a lot of you know a lot of pressure from family and so it was awkward for her being in the middle so extremely difficult for her and then um we were in one of those moments of off again and i uh one morning saying my prayers is just like you're hearing my voice now. It says, pray for your children. Mm. And I just thought to myself, you know what? They don't want anything to do with me. So how can they be my children if they don't want anything to do with me? And I didn't do it. A few seconds later, pray for your children. And I did this, you know, I wrestled with God for about five minutes on this. And finally, I says, okay, 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 I'll do it. Mm. My next trip to work, had an overnight in Detroit, Michigan, worked a flight back first thing in the morning to Houston, Texas, walking up the jet bridge. My phone rang. It's a number I don't recognize. And it's this daughter of mine. Her husband had just been killed in an automobile accident. My grandson, whom I had never met at the time, was in the car with him. Critical condition in the hospital. You know, is just, if you saw the pictures of the car and the condition he was in at the time, it's a miracle that he lived. Mm. And he's doing wonderful right now. But he was in the hospital for months. But my daughter called me to tell me about all this her mother and her sisters were not able to come down there to be with her and she just needed somebody to be with her yeah and i said i'm on the next flight and so through tragedy she came back into my life and since then and that's been since uh, 2017 i believe mm -hmm. it was october 2017 since then you know, I've had all this time 
with those grandchildren. I met my grandson through this tragedy and was able to take my granddaughter to Hawaii and have all this, all these other times with her. Yeah. Anytime, anytime I had a longer weekend from home, instead of going straight home to Vegas, I'd catch right up to, I'd catch right up to the Northeast where they were living, you know, and, and go visit them up there. And it was just, it was just amazing. And then, uh, at the funeral, I got to meet other grandchildren who didn't know me. Mm. I'm standing by the coffin of one of these, one of these, one of these precious children. You know, she's, I think about 10 or 11 come up to me and yeah. just looks at me and she had learned who I am at this point. She says, do you need a hug? Children are beautiful like that. <laughs> yeah. They're genuine. They're real loyal. I know. They're yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Then the next morning or the next day. So we had a funeral on Saturday and then Sunday was the internment. And we're at the cemetery. And the son of my youngest daughter. The one that want, asked me if I wanted a hug was from my youngest daughter. And so this, uh, this other child that's coming up to me now says, can I hug you? Yeah. It's contagious. <laughs> and then my next, next, the youngest daughter came up to me there and said, uh, I'd like to introduce you to my son. This beautiful, bubbly, fun little boy. Just, <laughs> and he gives me a hug. Hmm. But before we left, the cemetery that day my oldest daughter texted me and told me that one of her daughters wanted to meet me and so at the cemetery my daughter introduced me to my grand this this other granddaughter i said i i was not nice to their mother uh to my the mother of my my daughters i you know no physical abuse but i was an angry person Mm. just and immoral, you know, cheated on her, all that kind of stuff that bad guys do. And um, this sweet young lady looks into my eyes and she says, are you a good man now? Mm. And my heart melted. And And it was so, it was so heartwarming for me to look at her and say, yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Then my wife looked at me after all this and she said, honey, do you realize that this is father's day and all four of your daughters are here? That's awesome. That's awesome. That is awesome. So through tragedy, things do happen. I just wish it didn't take tragic Mm -hmm. events like this. So, yeah. You know what, mate? I've got, five minutes and I have to jump onto another podcast. And there's one more question I want to ask you before go I let you it. go. This podcast is about overcoming limitations, seeing the good in the bad. What's your definition of having limitless potential? Oh my goodness. I find limitless potential through the power of God. Okay. It really is that simple with him. Um, oh, how's the him go? I need thee every hour. There's one one like that, and you just and there's others that it just there's a so much power in hymns that talk about the power of God. 
I could not have made it through the death of my daughter without God. I certainly could not have made it through this chapter of my life without God. All through my life, he has had, even even when I wasn't living up to the standards that he had that he had for me and thank goodness there's there's repentance for that Mm, yeah but just knowing that our heavenly father loves us and that he gives us strength he gives us courage you know men walk into battle well people walk into battle so many times throughout our world and they're terrified but Somehow they muster up that power. And to me, the only way I can muster up the power to face, to face such tragedy mm. is through the power of God. That's powerful, Colin. And, and thank you so much, man, for sharing that story. It was, it was amazing to listen to your perspective. And in such a short amount of time since the tragedy as well, I just think, it's an amazing effort to, to come on and be so open about it and really just put the message out there for people to spread the love, always communicate. And I wish you so much good fortune in spreading this message, mate. I really do. Let's stay in touch and let's, um, let's spread the word. Yeah. Simon, thank you so much for having me on. I greatly appreciate it, my friend. Yeah. We'll be in touch, Colin. Thanks, mate. Okay. Thank you, man. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.